Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. That's me. Well, this week, I am very delighted to share with you this interview with one of the leading mindset and behavior experts in the world. I am talking about none other than the number one best-selling author of Having It All and one of the stars of The Secret, Mr. John Asaraf. Our brain is actually a prediction machine that also deletes and distorts anything that doesn't match with the current map of our reality. Now, before we got into the conversation, before we got into the interview, I already knew that we could talk about a lot of different things. And indeed, we did discuss heaps. From his childhood stories uh, and his so-called street life to the start of his career and how he met the person that would go on to change his life forever. But if anything, this interview is probably the deepest that we've ever gone into the topic of mindset on this podcast. And, you know, we're talking back over 225 episodes now. And for most of you know that mindset is just a key part of what this show is about. But what we get into today is the depth of this, right? The depth of what really needs to be thought in terms of how you can set yourself up to win. And we talk a lot about a concept of inner size, a little bit like exercise, which also happens to be the title of his latest book, Inner Size, The New Science to Unlock Your Brain's Hidden Power. Amazing stuff. I geek out about it. He geeks out about it. We had an amazing time. And I know that you will get a heap out of this conversation. So listen intently, apply the stuff that we talk about, and you are going to really be able to help change your business and your life from this. I don't like to play the game of life at the level of effects. I want to play at the level of cause. And if you take care of cause, effect takes care of itself. So without further ado, welcome to Scale Up with Nick Bradley, John Asaraf. Hi, everyone. It is Nick here. Welcome to Scale Up for this week. I am delighted to have on the show Mr. John Asaraf. John, welcome. Hello there, Mr. Bradley. Great to be with you. Man, we were just talking off off air before you press the kind of record button, and you're in a lovely part of the world called San Diego, and I'm in the miserable part of Middle England right now. So, so let's let's brighten everyone's days up and and get into some really interesting stuff. So, what I thought we'd get into yeah. to, to start with, and I was thinking about this beforehand. And I thought, why don't we why don't we talk about this this conversation today as being a bit of a workout for our brains, certainly my brain, because you have done so much stuff on mindset and how the brain works and your story in its own right is pretty transformational. And I talk about mindset a lot on the show, but I want to kind of just unpack some of the science behind it and some of your experiences. So can we kick off with just your story and your journey? Because that would be great for our listeners to hear. Uh, sure. So the, the story goes back, you know, quite, quite some time, 40 plus years into my teens. And um, I had moved from Israel where I was born to Montreal and uh, just as I was getting into school, really in grade one, um, you know, I'd learned Hebrew as my mother mother tongue. Uh, and then I was thrown into this French and English environment with, you know, 50, 60 other kids, mostly immigrants who were moving from different parts of the world to Montreal. And like many kids, I just fell behind by a year or two because I didn't know the language, didn't know the alphabet, didn't know how to communicate in, a, in two foreign languages that people were speaking in Montreal. And, you know, I, I quickly got into trouble. I was, uh, you know, considered a hyperactive AD, ADHD kid because <laughs> I just right. couldn't sit still at, you know, six years old, seven years old in a classroom when I was bored out of my mind because I didn't understand. Um, so I spent a lot of time getting reprimanded, you know, for not paying attention, reprimanded for not doing well, uh, falling behind. And by the time I was in grade five, six and seven, I spent probably 50 percent of my time outside the principal's office because I was, you know, in trouble. And uh, I started hanging around with a group of kids um, that got uh, really good at shoplifting and doing, you know, um, things that were, you know, not the best things to be doing as a kid. And by the time I was 17, you know, I was visiting detention centers and, um, and police stations way more often than, than I should have been. Uh, but that was, you know, the trouble that I got into. And, uh, you know, it was kind of like I had a, a street life and then yeah. I had a life at home with parents who loved me and cared about me. And, um, and that was the beginning of me feeling like I wasn't smart enough or good enough is, 
In grade seven, I failed English and failed math um, and was considered to be just a dumb jock. Uh, I played basketball and other sports like oh, okay, that's that, that happens to be my passion. I still play to this day that sport. Um, oh, great. If I may interject here, yeah. so just to ask the question, how did you feel back then? I mean, you said beforehand you felt, you know, obviously there was a, a lack of confidence, self belief, all of those sort of things. But I often believe a lot of transformations or transitions come from a place of pain. W were you really feeling at your lowest ebb at that point in time, or were you still just unaware of kind of what was going on? You know, I was pretty much unaware there was a that I had a cocky arrogant confident attitude um I was um, pretty adept at sports so I was also really good at fighting so okay. fighting for me was a way um I was into judo and karate and kung fu and 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 all that stuff at a very very young age and and did well with that so my uh, lack of self-confidence and self-worth and self-esteem were quickly covered up by my ability to be in fights and win nice. uh, okay. and use my physical abilities to make up for, you know, what I thought was I wasn't smart enough in school. And, you know, I, I just didn't do well in school and I got bored. And um, there was only two classes that I actually did well in. That was biology and chemistry, strangely enough. And I was fascinated with human anatomy Okay. Um, and was fascinated with alchemy and, and how things, you know, if you combine this with this, you get that. So I was very, very fascinated with that. And those are the only two, two subjects I did well in other than gym. Right. So that must have been interesting. So there's a point there where you probably know some of the things you're doing aren't the right things, right? But you're getting, yeah. your peer group is probably respecting you because, you know, you can stand up for yourself and do all that. So interesting. Okay. So take us forward. So what, what happened yeah. after that? Yeah. So, so um, uh, at the time, you know, I was involved in selling drugs at 17 and 18 and 16, 17, 18. And um, my brother and my sister knew that I was doing that. My parents would have killed me. Um, my father specifically, he would have thrown me out of the house and, and, and killed me. Um, but um, my brother, who was a tennis pro that was traveling the world, um, had finally, you know, stopped playing tennis and started teaching tennis in Toronto, Canada, which was about 500 kilometers from where we lived in Montreal. And he said, hey, why don't you come for, you know, the weekend, take the train, come for the weekend of, I'm going to set up a lunch with this man who, um, who's a real estate uh, developer and investor and has real estate offices. And he does a lot of training to help his agents. And, and I think maybe he can help you. So I said, sure, I'll, I'll come and see you, bro. So I took the train, my brother picked me up and we, um, we went to lunch uh, with Mr. Alan Brown. And at lunch, he was asking me, why are you doing all these things? And I was like, I don't know. I'd like want to make some money. I want to fit in and I want to, you know, do better. And he said, well, why don't you just use your brain to do better? You've got a, a brilliant brain. I said, well, I didn't do well in school and I failed English and I failed math. I gave him the story. Yeah. He said, well, that's part of your past. And maybe you weren't motivated. Maybe you weren't coached, right? But regardless of what are your goals for your life? And at the time, and this just to put into perspective, this was March of 1980, okay? March of 1980, um, he's asking me, I'm 19 years old, and he's asking me, what are my, my goals? And I said, I wanna buy a car, I wanna move out of my parents' house, um, and um, I'd like to get a job that pays more than $1.65 an hour, which is how much I was making working at the shipping department of Phillips Electronics. I'd left school after high school. And uh, he said, well, that's all great, but what are some of your bigger goals and dreams? And I said, I don't have any. Like, what do you mean bigger goals and dreams? It's like, I just want those things first. And he gave me this document, Nick, and it was the 1980 Goal Setting Guide. <laughs> and, and it had like five or six pages on it with a bunch of questions. And he said, please take 15, 20 minutes to just fill this out so I can get an idea of, of, of what you really would like to do. So I opened up this document. And the first question was, at what age do you want to retire? I'm like, what? I, I want a job. I want to I retire. My father's still a cab driver. What do you mean retire? Second question was, how much net worth do you want to have upon retirement? And I looked at him and I said, Mr. Brown, what does net worth mean? <laughs> I didn't know. Oh, this is, this is brilliant. <laughs> Keep right? going with this. Um, third question, like what kind of car do you want? What kind of home do you want? Where do you want to travel? Yeah. Who do you want to help? And I'm like, 
I have no idea. I want a Mercedes Benz. I want a four bedroom house. I want nice Italian clothes. I want to travel the world first class. I just wrote this shit out. I had no idea. I wrote down retired 45, $3 million net worth and a whole bunch of fluffy stuff that just pulled out of my ass. And he took this document and he looked at it and he says, hey, this is, this is something I can work. This is a good vision to start with. He said, everything you wrote down is doable. So that's number one. He said, I'm gonna ask you one question. And the answer to this question will determine whether you achieve every one of these things. So here I am, we're in a restaurant, my brother's next to me. And, and I look at my brother and I'm like, one question? Like, is this guy on drugs? Like one question is gonna determine whether I get all this stuff? So anyway, he, I said, what's the question? And he leans in and he says, are you interested in achieving this lifestyle and these results or are you committed to achieving them? And so I'm sitting there, Nick, I'm going, am I interested or am I committed? I, I looked at him, I said, Mr. Brown, like, what's the difference? And so he leans in and he said, son, he said, if you're interested, you'll keep using that story and your excuse about not doing well in school and failing English and failing math and that your father's a cab driver and your mother is a seamstress and you didn't speak English well and you, you just keep rehashing that identity and that story and you'll keep coming up with stories, reasons and excuses why you can't. He said, if you are committed, you will upgrade your identity to match this destiny. You will upgrade your beliefs, your knowledge, your skills, and your daily behaviors so that they line up with everything that is required to achieve this income by this age with this lifestyle. He says, so are you interested? Are you committed? And I remember the hair on the back of my head that was standing up. And I don't know why, Nick, but I just said, well, in that case, I'm committed. And so he reaches out his hand. He says, good, then I will be your mentor. I go, wow, uh, what's a mentor? Boom. <laughs> and that's, that's how my one, one lunch, one question, one answer changed the, the direction of my life. And so what happened is I said, I'm committed. He asked me to move to Toronto. I gave him a whole bunch more excuses. I said, fine, I'll move to Toronto. He said, I have to go back to school to get my real estate license. I said, I'm not going back to school. He says, well, are you interested? Are you committed? And this went on for like 15 minutes of him telling me what, what to do. And I challenged him that I couldn't do it. Two weeks later, I moved to Toronto. I got into real estate, moved in with my brother, uh, took a five-week real estate course, borrowed the money from my parents, my brother, and my sister to get the 500 bucks to go to school, um, passed my real estate course, and then he started to mentor me about 30 minutes a day on what to do. And over the next 18 months, I made $180,000 selling real estate on commission as a 20-year-old kid. Wow. That was the beginning of mind expanded, mind blown, get away from being interested, make a commitment and do what it takes once in your life. Let's, let's, let's now get into this. Okay. So a couple of things here. So sliding doors moment there, right? So you meet this yeah. guy. Do you believe, do you believe in serendipity and all that sort of stuff? Yeah, I, I believe in serendipity. And I believe in everything in the universe operates by law, not by luck. Okay. But I also believe in the power of choice, right? Which, which means that not only do you have to show up, which is a choice, but then you have to say yes to the opportunities that present themselves. And, and so I showed up because my brother asked me to, not because I thought I needed Mr. Brown's help, um, but once Mr. Brown, you know, was there and I could see, you know, and, and hear from what, you know, his successes were that he knew what he was doing. And I said, yes, even though I was afraid, I was uncertain, I was, I was, I had no, no skills, no money, no zero. I just said yes, because I believed actually in him more than I believed in me. So, do I believe in serendipity? Yes. Um, but I also believe in choice. Yeah. And, and also to some extent, seeing the opportunity because I, you know, I believe sometimes you've got to, you know, it's a little bit, we'll get into this as well, but you know, once you set an intention, 
right? Or you create that possibility or vision as we'll talk about it. Then you start to see the things, right? So, so sometimes, correct. sometimes things are there. I mean, I don't know this, I've written books on this, right? This is my experience of it, yeah. but there's a point there where like things open up for us all the time, but sometimes we are closed for various reasons to see them. Yeah. And, and listen, for the last 40 years, you know, I have been on this path to understand mindset at a much deeper level than the average bear. Yeah. And we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. We have actually, our brain has filters uh, in the form of our beliefs and our paradigms and um, the map of reality that has been created from the time we were born, because we weren't born with any beliefs, we weren't born with any fears, any habits, any perspectives, uh, any associations, those neural networks and patterns did not exist. And our brain is actually a prediction machine that also deletes and distorts anything that doesn't match with the current map of our reality. So is there, is there no such thing then? I don't want to go too deep and freak out all the listeners, but is there no such thing as a reality then? Because my reality and your reality are absolutely shaped by beliefs, experiences, and all those things. What you see and what I see might be different. Yeah. I mean, when we're taking a look at, you know, if we know that these are glasses because we have learned that this thing is called glasses And we have an association and we know a meaning for this thing. Take a look at, let me give you an example of how this works. You know, imagine that you take this to a tribe that's never seen humans and has never seen glasses. And you put this in their hand and you say glasses. They're going to go like glasses. I don't have any association to glasses. Then they'll look at this and they'll wonder what it is, right? And they may put these on if they're reading glasses, they'll take them off right away because like, why is this making my eyes so awful? But if you took a piece of paper and if they needed it, you put that piece of paper in front of it to show them that it magnifies. They go, holy mackerel, you know, these are glasses that magnify stuff so I can move in and out. So everything that we, you know, experience, we create associations for in our brain. And if the association and the meaning isn't there, our brain will usually delete or distort it. And that's just the nature of how this organism called our brain works. And so when we're you know, talking about vision, right? The reason the most successful innovators in the world you know, innovate is because they start off with some idea in their mind of something that may not exist. And then they formulate, okay, possibilities of how to create it. Um, The Wright brothers didn't invent gravity, right? They didn't invent aerodynamics, right? It was already there, but they imagined, okay, based on watching birds that, well, could we also, you know, be like a bird? And so uh, it's really pretty fascinating how our biocomputer works and this organism works. Well, I want to get into that. I told you this yeah, was going yeah. to be a workout for the brain. It's going to be a workout for my brain. But um, to go back to your story, because, you know, that's quite transformational sure. from, you know, 160 an hour or whatever it was to 180 grand in like 12 months. What, what happened to you? I, I think it's always interesting to learn through other stories. Like obviously you had the sure. mentor, but there were certain yeah. things that you had to learn and do to be able to create that. So I'd love to, love to know sure. that. So let me take you back to um, you know the first few weeks of training. So do you remember that document that I wrote mm. out the the goal financially and yes. lifestyle and all that stuff? Well, uh, after I wrote it out, generally, Mr. Brown had me write it out really, really well to really think through um, in order to achieve this amount of income. Because uh, it went from you know how much would I like to earn at forty five, then we went to how much would I like to earn per month. And uh, so then I was like $10,000 a month was my goal, even though my father never earned more than $2,500 in a month back then. And then Mr. Brown said, well, what would you need to believe in order to achieve 10 grand a month? Well, I would need to believe that I'm smart enough. I would need to believe that I'm skilled enough, that I'm good enough, that I'm worthy enough. And he says, good, write that down. I am more than worthy enough to achieve $10,000 a month. I am more than skilled enough. I am more than, and I had these, I don't know, 8, 10, 12 affirmations. He says, what do you think the skills that you would need, okay, as a real estate agent, a new one, 
well, I would, I guess I'd need to learn marketing. And I had help in, in formulating these answers. I need to learn how to sell. I need to learn uh, the industry. He says, great. Uh, what habits do you think you would need to form? So we, we focused on what were the beliefs? What were the skills? What were the behaviors? What were the habits? He says, great. Now that we formulated, you know, the vision and the goals and the skills and the beliefs and the habits, now let's translate that to your behavior every single day. So every day when I came into the office and I had to be in by eight o'clock in the office, not only did I have to review my vision, my goals, my beliefs, my habits, my skills, he had me record it onto a recorder, a cassette recorder, and listen to it while I read it and ran my fingers across because he said, if you read it and you listen to it and you run your fingers across the words, you will be imprinting all of the stuff that you wrote down that's not true, not real, not even believable by you right now. And you will be creating a signal in your brain, which means you're going to give your brain the instruction of the beliefs you want versus the beliefs you have. You're going to be giving your brain, okay, the direction versus you being a victim of all your old conditioning. And I can tell you, Nick, back then, right, 19-year-old kid, I'm going, what the fuck? Yeah, that's what I'm, I'm envisaging you as the kind of jock, I'm like, you know. what <laughs> in the world is this? I'm running my fingers across my, my brain. I'm going to show you something. You see this exceptional life blueprint? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is my entire life right now for my beliefs, my habits, my vision. So that is that like Every, your current, that's your current, you know, let's call it 40 playbook. years 40 years I've been doing this. I teach this to all of my clients, where I want to travel, what my net worth will be at 100 years old. I mean, everything is in this. You know what I do every morning? I review my exceptional life blueprint. Really? And so why do I do that? Well, my life changed so dramatically back then. Like, why would I want to stop something that works? And what happened is I started to believe a lie. The lie was that I was smart enough. The lie was that I was good enough. The lie was that I was skilled enough. I wasn't smart enough, good enough, or skilled enough at the time I started reading all this stuff. But because I started to read it, I started to believe it. And now, as I started to believe it, I started to behave in line with those beliefs. So then you became then it. I became it. And, and then on top of that, part of the skills, you know, I had to learn how to cold call. So I had to learn to get a phone in front of me to get a, you know, a book uh, of names of the people yep. who lived in the streets. I had no idea who they were. And Mr. Brown said, now here is your first script. What's a script? He said, well, we know what to say when you call somebody that you don't know. We know what the objections are. We know what the answers are. So We've been doing this for quite a long time. And so we figured this out. You just need to get good at the script. Like a, uh, somebody who's a Hollywood actor needs to get good at their script. You need to get good at this script because this script is part of what a very highly professional real estate agent would have to know. Okay, what's the script? Hi, my name is John Asrath. I live, I'm working in the uh, Allen Brown Real Estate Company. We have somebody who's looking to buy a home in the neighborhood. Have you thought about making a deal so we can, have you thought about making a move so we can bring them to your home and show them the home? If they said yes, I said, great, can we be there at three o'clock today? Or would five o'clock be better? If they said no, I said, oh, thank you. By the way, if any of the neighbors suggested they may want to make a move, yes or no, I had answers. If they said, if they said no, I said, thank you. By the way, oh, just one last question. Since we are the local real estate company in the area, do you know when you might consider making a move? So, in that short period of time, I had this document on my desk that had 100 boxes. Box number one was $15, box two, 30, 45, 60, 75, 90, 105, 120, 135, 150, all the way to 1500, which was on the 100th box. Here was my job and goal every day. Take this script, pick up the phone, and use the script. By the time you get to 100 calls, you'll find several people who will say, yes, we're thinking about making a move. And that's how we get listings. And that's how we get buyers. So I did that for the whole first year, every freaking day, six days a week, actually five days a week, Saturdays, I did open houses. And I made my first year, my share was 30,000. 
In my second year, I learned a new script. Never knew so, the script. I learned a new script to call for sale by owners. And I became outstanding at that. Then I made 150 that year. Wow. So, you know, the, the, the thing that I want to emphasize is I had to upgrade my identity, my knowledge, my skills by certain daily practices. Now, back then, I didn't know what was happening to my brain. We didn't know. We didn't have the technology, the functional magnetic resonance imaging machines or the SPECT scans to be able to see what happens in the human brain. We didn't do, you know, any blood work to understand, you know, that there's um, epinephrine or cortisol or dopamine or serotonin flowing through the blood based on certain, you know, thought patterns or, or uh, language patterns. Now we do. But what happened back then was through the repetition, the practice is what made perfect patterns. Perfect practice made perfect patterns. So would you call that reprogramming? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, in that particular case, there was some reprogramming yep. and definitely some programming. Got it. And, and to go back again, because I'm always fascinated by this, why did you do it? So, so what was it about trusting the process? Was it the fact that you were so kind of, you know, bullheaded that you said commitment <laughs> that, that you thought I'm now going to commit or did you, there was something, something changed in you because I got a sense that there was a bit of rebellion before that clearly. Well, first and foremost, the results he was achieving in his life were the results I used to see on TV on a TV show called lifestyles of the rich and famous. Oh, wow. Okay. Got it. Right. Yeah. So that was part one, part two, um, once I graduated from the real estate school, um, I was put in a, you know, in an office and there was cubicles, you mm -hmm. know, four, four agents per cubicle. And there's this one guy by the name of Dave. I don't remember his last name now. And back in 1980, this guy was making $30,000 a month. And all he was doing was this script. And I'm like, holy shit, this guy could hardly <laughs> speak English, right? He had, he, he didn't, he didn't look the part, didn't dress the part, didn't speak the part. And he was just doing this. I said, holy shit, if he's doing this and he's getting those results, I'm doing this. So, so initially, you know, it was, you know, I was tired of the life that I was living because I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I also was getting results that I wanted. So it yeah. was, but now I was, you know, now I'm 18, 19 years young and I know the consequences um, are much more severe now. So you and had your uh, environment also. I mean, you said you changed your environment by moving to Toronto, but yeah. you, know, you were seeing around you now people who were getting the success that to some extent right. you wrote down on that first day as well. Oh yeah, there was Vern Wong. Yeah. Vern, I remember, um, uh, an Asian guy that, uh, was just crushing it and Dave and a few other people. I'm like, Leo Ng, I remember as well. I was like, these guys were making, you know, 100,000, 200,000, $300,000 a year. And I'm like, we didn't know anybody in our family that made that kind of money. Nobody. And the only people that made that kind of money was people on TV. Um, and so there, there was enough evidence in my environment that what Mr. Brown was teaching the people that were committed worked. So I said, Let, let's go. And, and that was really the beginning of me shifting my identity and shifting what was possible for me. And I wasn't afraid of doing the work. Like my sports background, you know, being a, I swam, I did track, I played basketball competitively. So I knew you've got to practice. So I didn't have any problem. I understood practice. I understood practicing free throw, practicing running. I, I got that. And um, so what, I was able to translate from sports to, I guess, entrepreneurship yeah. was a work ethic. And, and also, and also probably not trying to intellectualize it, right? You know, you use two examples there of people who were just kind of following the process and, and probably not overthinking yeah. it and just, just learning it and getting good at it. Right. So there's a bit of that in this as well, which is, I'm not going to challenge it or judge it. I'm just going to do it. Yeah, I mean, like my, my natural tendency would, would be to challenge, but that's yeah. like now because of education, I'll challenge stuff if I don't understand. But back then, like who, who was I to, to say this doesn't work when people around me 
were evidence of it working, right? So, so what we didn't know then was why does it work? Except um, there was, you know, you know, there was some discussion even back then of the astronauts who were using visualization as simulations. And there was a gentleman that who's become my friend, interestingly enough, who lives 10 minutes from me, Dennis Waitley, who wrote the new psychology of winning, you know, and there were enough yep. people in the personal development arena, um, you know, whether it was Zig Ziglar, whether it was, you know, um, yeah. uh, Dennis Waitley, whether it was some of the legends, Brian Tracy, you know, there was enough of their trainings in the real estate industry, but there wasn't the scientific evidence back then. There was the, the hypotheses that, you know, what we visualize, um, uh, we materialize from the perspective of creating the neural patterns first and visualization is simulation. And they thought that, the, you know, there were neurons that fired in our brain in certain sequences. And if we repeated those sequences, whether it was language patterns or visualization patterns or behavioral patterns, our brain became conditioned but we didn't have the empirical evidence of being able to see that happening in the brain then. But I looked at the results and I said, I want those results. I, I you know, that, those are the results I and want. You, and you got the results, obviously, you yeah. know, in a short space of time. What I'd like to do, cause I like to, I'd like to go a little bit into where we just went then. So, so the stuff, let's demystify the stuff that, you know, people talk about. I'd like to know what you, you know, works, right. Sure. Uh, and to some extent, why? And then I'd like to talk about some practicalities. I always like to have stuff that people can take away. And you, you pulled up your book before. <laughs> right? so, so what are the stuff that you would say are habits that becomes behaviors? So we'll get into that towards the end of our conversation. But let's just start off with what does work? Visualization, um, different things like that. So take us through the stuff that you go, this is absolutely, there's no doubt that this yeah. stuff absolutely is there. Great. So instead of telling you what works, let me just bring out a scenario, right? So okay. imagine that you're sitting in a restaurant or a, you know, a coffee shop. Yep. And um, you get a tap on the shoulder and you look over your shoulder and it's somebody that you uh, love watching, you know, in Hollywood or in, you know, uh, an actor or actress. Okay. And okay. they say to you, hey, listen, we were just noticing you from the table behind over here. And we're reading this script for this new movie. And we think that you would be phenomenal at playing this role. It's only about five minutes long, but if we share the script with you uh, and you accept and we pay you five million pounds or dollars or whatever, um, would you be willing to work with one of our coaches on learning the script and becoming the role for five minutes and being on camera maybe six or 12 months from now? Hell so yes. That's a hell yes, isn't said, it? <laughs> Oh, hell yes. But let's say you've never acted before. Let's say you have fear. You have yeah. uncertainty. You have doubt. You don't have the skill. You've never done this before. Now, if you said yes, you signed the contract and you were committed to being the very best actor for this five minute role, what would you do from taking this script, something you wrote on a piece of paper that's not true, that they gave you? What would you do to become that role? Would you read it once? Would you role play it a few times? Would you videotape yourself? Would you, would you practice it until you became it? Would you, in the practice, start to build the skill? In the practice, would you not start to build the confidence in the practice? Would you not start to build the identity that maybe started off as you being a clumsy beginner? And then with practice, and then with perfect practice, because you were being coached, you really knew what to do, how to do it, when to do it, what the, what the tonality was, what the cadence was, what the influx, um, uh, um, uh, you know, all, all of the things required to be a Hollywood actor, uh, playing a role that you never saw before. Well, if you did it for one month, three months, six months, somebody could wake you up out of a dead sleep and you could play that role where once upon a time you couldn't. Now, in the practice, that's when the neurons start to fire. And the neurons that fire together, wire together. And over a period of 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, the neurons that we consciously fire move from conscious to subconscious patterns. 
And once that subconscious pattern, which takes, by the way, 66 days to 365 days to create, once that subconscious pattern is there, it's like riding a bike when you're five years old and then being put on a bike when you're 65, all of the subconscious mechanics are already there. You just need to- So you're literally rewiring. Correct. Or creating new So in some wires. cases you are wiring, some yes. cases you are wiring, and other cases you are refiring to rewire. What happens so, if you've got a, sorry to jump in, but I'm just, I want to not good, lose my thread. What about if you have a block, a belief issue, like, you know, something, you know, your parents have always said that you're bad at this or you, you know, you can't speak publicly or whatever that is things. What happens when that that's sitting there through this process? Great. So, so first and foremost, ask yourself this question. Were you born with any beliefs? No. You were born as an open slate. Were you born with any fears? No. Were you born with any associations, any memories? No, 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 and no. So if we said, what is a limiting belief? What is an empowering belief? It's nothing more than a reinforced neural pattern that went from conscious to subconscious. Now, let me ask you, I'm going to take you in a slightly different direction. Um, In Australia, you were born in Australia, right? Adelaide? Adelaide, South Australia, yeah. Did you believe in Santa Claus when you were a kid? Yeah. How come you don't believe in Santa Claus now? I still do. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to to Lapland next week with the kids, so I I definitely do. Um, Yeah, I mean, I get you. The point that I want to make is, is just because we have a limiting belief doesn't mean that it's the truth. Yeah. So if a limiting belief, whether it's the tooth fairy or Santa Claus, or I'm not good enough, not smart enough, not worthy enough, not skilled enough, even if we have a neural pattern called a belief that's a disempowering negative belief, if a belief is nothing more than a reinforced pattern in the brain, is there a way for us to deactivate it? The answer is yes. So what if I shared with you for the next 30 days, I want you to write out this sentence. And the sentence goes like this. In the past, I used to believe blank, blank, blank. And now that I'm old enough to choose my beliefs, I'm choosing to believe blank, blank, blank. Now, if it's true that repetition is the mother of learning and skill, and practice makes permanent, practice makes permanent, Is it possible that using the science of neuroplasticity, I could take something that I don't believe or something that I do believe and I can release it and create and reinforce a new one? The answer is yes. So whether it's a belief or or a habit, like what's a habit? A habit is nothing more than a series of beliefs and behaviors that have been reinforced to conserve energy in the brain and make automatic a sequence that our brain does in order to conserve energy. So I can deliberately override any pattern, whether it's a mental, emotional, or physical habitual pattern. Now the challenge, Nick, is most people don't have a process. Yes, I can, I get most this. Most people <laughs> don't have a process and most people don't have a skill of how to do it. And also so to some extent, issues- maybe some discipline or commitment here too, because there's a bit like, you know, just to use the overuse analogy of planting the seed and the tree doesn't grow for ages and you kind of don't see the results. So therefore you give up, right? So there's yeah. the process plus there's the, what do you call it? Commitment standard. To yeah, be but to- also, but also the awareness and the knowledge, right? So what if I shared with you that, hey, we're going to plant, you know, bamboo farm. Mm-hmm. I said, we're going to plant it. We're going to take care of it for three years. Don't expect anything for three years. Now I've set the expectation of what to expect. But what most people don't have is an expectation. Yes. All of my students, every student of mine has to commit to 100 days of training their brain while they upgrade their knowledge and skills. Don't come to me and say, it didn't work this weekend. You're not allowed in my programs. <laughs> That's you. Give me hundred days. Why? Because we know from a scientific research, the latest research, 66 days to 365 is what it takes to override or create a new neural pattern that becomes part of something known as the default mode network. The default mode network is otherwise known as your automatic self. 
Now, if I, if I know scientifically that if you're 25, 30, 40, 50, 60 years young, that don't expect change, lasting change, okay, for at least 90 days, then don't expect change for at least 90 days. Now, is change happening? Yes, change is happening. It's no different if I say to you, listen, I'm gonna give you a seed to plant for some carrots. And I say to you, listen, plant the seed. It's 85 to 95 days. That's the gestation and incubation period to go from seed to carrot. If I catch you digging up that seed in the next 30 days, I'm gonna shoot you. So now we have to talk about patience and awareness, right? And then choice. So the challenge is ignorance. The, the, the challenge most of us face is just ignorance, not stupidity. That's a whole different game. But ignorance just means not knowing. So if I don't know, I'm going to react. If I know, then I have the opportunity to respond intelligently. God, this is really good. This is, this is like, I've talked about mindset a lot, but this is like going right into it. <laughs> well, we, right. we can go right into the mitochondria if you want to. <laughs> no, well, 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 I want to probe into the practicalities now. So, because yeah. this is really cool. So we've, we've, we've covered a lot already in this. But so so if someone, let's talk a little bit about the, the identity change. When, before we press record today, I talked about, you know, some of the business owners that I work with, they've created something pretty impressive. They've created a seven-figure business, which not a lot of people ever do. And then they have the aspiration to take that next step. And sometimes they really challenge themselves with the idea of whether they can do it. If someone like sure. that comes to you, you know, which I imagine is a lot of your students anyway, how do you diagnose or, or prescript, you know, that, that change, that change? Firstly, there's obviously got to be a, a set of routines and habits. I imagine people have to start to do just to, to build the muscle. Yeah, absolutely. So, so, so let's go to the identity and the character traits of the person required at that next level. Yes. Okay. Right. So whether you're an athlete, a musician, or an entrepreneur, what if we did an intellectual exercise to say, what would be the character traits of the person who's already there? What would he or she believe? What would he or she be thinking? What would he or she be doing at that level already? How would he or she be behaving? What would he or she be reading? Where would he or she go? What would their attitude be? So you start to construct an identity that every single person who's hit seven figures knows what that eight-figure or nine-figure identity has to be. They know what they need to stop. They know what they need to start. And if they don't, then their coach, somebody like you, can help them say, okay, because I work with people at the next level and beyond, let me add some to what you've already shared. So now you formulate this new identity, these new beliefs, these new behaviors, these new move away from, these new move towards habits. Yeah, I got it. Right. And then we start to practice every single day. So how do we practice? Well, we can actually create what I call are some cognitive priming inner sizes, which is the body of work that I'm, um, you know, really been bringing to the world in the last um, uh, year or so or two years or so. So you exercise to strengthen your muscles, you inner size to strengthen your core neuro muscles. Right. <laughs> um, right. So now we start to do like a daily practice of inner size. And then we lay out what are the behaviors required to play at this next level. And then we start to do that every single day and track and measure and iterate and track and measure and tweak, track and measure and adjust, track and measure and move forward. And sometimes we take a couple of steps backwards, we analyze and then move forward again. And so how, now we how do we know, sorry, how, how do we know that that is working? What is some of the evidence through the journey and certainly over the hundred days or whatever else that you're starting? Yeah. Is, is it a feeling or is it something a little bit more uh, existential to that? It's, it's both tangible, yeah. okay? It's both tangible, uh, but the number one way you know that it's working is you're gonna feel resistance. Okay. <laughs> so you're, that whole saying about the thermostat 
Like you're well, starting you're to gonna feel resistance, right? So when you think about, you know, again, let's, let's understand the brain, right? So now yeah. let's go back to the neuromechanics. Anytime that change is happening, there is going to be resistance in the brain. Why? Because our brain wants to maintain comfort zones and homeostasis as it conserves energy. And change requires an expenditure of energy. There's something that I teach my, my students, it's called the switch cost. So the switch cost is the cost between who you are today and what you're achieving today and who you wanna become and what you want to achieve. In the in-between stage, the visual to, to use is the metamorphosis or the chrysalis okay, stage of a caterpillar, from caterpillar to butterfly, yep. there's this groupy uncomfortable phase, right? And it's the phase, you know, in brain surgery, when the brain surgeon's doing the work, it looks like the patient's dead. There's blood everywhere, it's a mess, but it's part of what's required to be that healthy individual. So for us entrepreneurs, the two things that I look for is the resistance, number one, and number two, the rationalizations. And I describe the rationalizations as the rational lies you are going to start telling me and yourself. And why do we do that then? Is it just because it's a natural part of the of change? It, it's an automatic part of our brain. Behind me, you see Einstein yes. and you see Frankenstein's monster, right? Why yep. is that? Well, there's um, two core parts of our brain called the left prefrontal cortex and the right prefrontal cortex. Now, the left prefrontal cortex is the part of our brain that is logical, that understands everything I've just said, the part of us that can imagine that next level of success in, let's say, our life and business. And it's like, uh, here's the imagination, here's the vision, here's the goals, here's the strategies, here's the tactics, here's the timelines, here's the tools, here's the resources, here's everything that I need. But in that very same nanosecond, that part of the brain called the Frankenstein's monster, its responsibility, okay, and highly, highly, highly developed is to answer this question. It's called, what if this doesn't work? What if you fail? What if you're embarrassed, ashamed, ridiculed, judged, rejected? What if you lose money? What if you disappoint yourself again and your children and your wife and you lose what you've already got? That's that part of the brain. It's no different than when you get into a car and you're driving your car and everything's going great, but then there's a light that pops up on your dash. You don't take a hammer and hit the light. It's a freaking amazing sensor to let you know, oh, your left tire is down by five PSI of air. And oh, by the way, you left the cap uh, thing open for the gas and your trunk is open. There's nothing wrong with the sensor. So when we don't have- <laughs> I'm with you on this. I, 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 this is, yeah. <laughs> so when we don't have the skill of awareness, when we don't have the skill of recognize, reframe, release, and retrain our brain, when we don't have the skill, okay, to understand, well, what do I do when I have this negative self-talk? What do I do when I have these disempowering emotions? What do I do when I have this fear that I don't even know is fear and I want to have a cocktail instead of process this emotion? Like, what do, like, what do I do? We've never been taught that. Yeah, that, and 100, 100%. I'm with you on that because that's because it can feel very, that Frankenstein voice <laughs> can feel very debilitating, right? You know, certainly, and it, can, and it can sabotage the stuff that's happening on the other side or the feeling right. is like that. That's right. So one of the reasons I created these inner sizes is to be able to help people upgrade their awareness skills, mm. uh, upgrade their emotional control and regulation skills, because emotions are triggered in the subconscious mind. They release neurochemicals into our blood that causes feelings. Feelings that we like, we move towards. Feelings that we don't, we move away from or suppress. That's just the animal that we are. So what if I shared with you that when you have, let's say this feeling that you don't like, um, there's an inner size, it's called inner size number one, take six, calm the circuits. We know that, for example, we have um, uh, doubt, fear, uncertainty, and there's 50 yep. different types of fears. 
we know that the sympathetic nervous system is activated. When the sympathetic nervous system is activated, motivational circuits deactivated, behavioral circuit is deactivated, and we revert back to safety. And this is where the fight, flight, freeze, or faint signal is released in the neurochemical, and is a neurochemical release into our blood. So the average person feels this, but doesn't recognize that if they just did six slow, deep breaths in through their nose as slowly as they could, out through their mouth, like they're breathing out through a straw, six times we can actually see blood flow move away from the Frankenstein brain back to the Einstein part of the brain. We can actually see the switch, the sympathetic nervous system turn off, the fight, flight, freeze turn off, and the calm to respond circuit turning on, the parasympathetic nervous system turning on. And now if we have a process of paying attention without judgment, blame, shame, or guilt, and we now set an intention, and now we take one small action towards what we want, now we are deliberately and consciously rewiring our own brain and firing the neurons that we want to fire versus the automatic neurons that have been conditioned to fire whenever I want to change. That, so is, this that, is, is, the, that is fire, John. Like, yeah. I just want to draw a line under that, right? Hey, your energy levels went up like through the through the oh, roof this, as well. This is, my place, this is your thing, right? But I'm, yeah, there's, there's so many places I could go with this. But again, I want to come back to the practicality of it to um to help people. But if if I'm feeling overwhelmed by something, right? You know, and overwhelmed, I know is a is a state of fear to some extent as well. Um, and I take action, like I kind of somehow get myself into a point where I'm not going to be paralyzed by any overwhelm. I'm just going to start to shift. It could be a small action. I, I, I can turn that away. I can turn that feeling of overwhelm around. Is that? Well, overwhelm is an effect. Is it? Okay. So, so not a fear. Well, think about this. Overwhelm, <laughs> like, overwhelm is an effect no differently than pouring too much water into a cup. It's not that there's too much water. It's just that the cup isn't big enough. Think about this. Mm, okay. Overwhelm is a state of stress, right? So what is stress? Stress is when the current demand exceeds your current capacity. Or perception of capacity. But, but your perception of capacity is your reality. Same thing, reality, yeah. Right? So, so when, when whether it's the financial demand, the spiritual, the emotional, the physical demand, it doesn't matter. When, when, it, when you feel, okay, automatically that you can't deal with all of this stuff. It's not the stuff, it's your capacity. So the question is how do I increase my capacity, right? So usually the feeling of overwhelm is when we are trying to process more than five to seven things at the conscious level of our brain. And usually it's a process issue, not Okay, a thing issue. So all of my clients, I teach them um, something called the GOPA method to deal with overwhelm. GOPA stands for generalize, organize, prioritize, actionalize. Let me explain. So overwhelm means there are just too many things to do. And most people who feel overwhelmed have not learned the process to prioritize all of the things that need to be done and break them into the critical few versus the trivial many. So what if I said to you in business, health, wealth, relationships, career, spirit, whatever, any category you want, what if you took everything you needed to do out of your head and you just put them onto this document that was organized by category? Then what if you took that stuff and you said, okay, let's say in the category of my business, I said, okay, there's 18 things that, that need to get done. And I said to you, okay, out of these 18 things, which are the top three? Just the top three. So is it this one or that one? Well, not this one, it's this one. Well, is it this one or that one? Well, it's not that one, it's this one. Great, was well, this one or that one? And we did a process of eliminating 15 just for now. So we can just have three that are the critical few. Now we would go from, okay, now I have order instead of chaos. When there's more than five to seven items percolating in our conscious mind, it creates neural chaos. 
our subconscious mind can process billions of bits of information per second, but our conscious mind is five to seven. Anything more than five to seven causes stress. It's exceeding the capacity of the processor that I'm using. So let me create a process to eliminate that. So I go back to what is triggering overwhelm, what's triggering fear, what's triggering sabotage, what's triggering procrastination. Those are all effects. I don't like to play the game of life at the level of effects. I want to play at the level of cause. And if you take care of cause, effect takes care of itself. Okay. Do you know what? I was going to ask you the question. So what are some things that people can do? But I'm realizing now after having an hour with you, John, that there's just too much, right? <laughs> can people um, can people get access to your inner sizes? I mean, how do you how do you get people to start on this journey? So assume someone you know, sure. is, is being very reactory to things. They don't know how to control stuff and they, they, they want to learn a little bit more about the stuff that you've been talking about. Where do you, where do you point them first? Let me, um, this is my newest best-selling book, Amazon number one book. It's called Inner Science, The New yeah. Science to Unlock Your Brain's Hidden Power. Um, what I did with this particular book is not only do I talk about the, the science of goal setting, goal achieving and emotions uh, and behaviors, but I actually created nine brain retraining audios to teach people how to have better mental emotional control well, like a subconscious plays when you sleep thing <laughs> oh, well, while you're awake yeah yeah um, and so they get those i think the book is like 12 bucks 15 bucks on amazon and there's a qr code in there to actually download the audios that are worth about 200 bucks so that would be the first place to start um the other place you know to really um, to really understand, and this is something you know, everybody knows, is my, my New York Times bestselling book called Having It All uh, is all about the science of setting goals and achieving goals. Most people don't understand that there's two, or there are actually many different parts of the brain responsible for achieving goals. The Einstein part of the brain is responsible for setting goals and the plans, but it's not the Einstein part of the brain that's responsible for actually the achievement of goals. There is another part of the brain called the striatum that is very, very involved with the hippocampus in helping you achieve goals. And if you don't know how to activate and use those parts of your brain, that's like having um, an orchestra, but you don't know how to get three of the members of the orchestra to play. You're dealing with a partial orchestra. That's going to so sound good. We are, <laughs> now we are, we are, yeah, it's not going to sound good. Um, you're still going to want to play the music, but it's not going to have harmony and coherence. And so the reason I got so deeply involved into the neuroscience and the neuromechanics is I wanted to know what happened to me. But then I used it in my first company because I ended up uh, building my first real estate company to 85 offices, 1,200 salespeople. And um, after seven years, we were doing four and a half billion a year in sales. And that's because I taught them all of this stuff. Incredible. We didn't even touch on your business success. <laughs> Mind you, I'm going to do that in the intro regardless, but I was more interested just in some of the practicalities of what you've done. But I mean, this has been, this is incredible. As I said, we've touched on mindset um, on this show a few times, but not led to the level of depth we've gone into today. Um, so I want to thank you for, for, you know, sharing that with thank myself you. and also the listeners. What's next on your horizon, John? What, what are you excited about, you know, that's coming up? Yeah, so we're building an AI-powered platform for inner sizing. Oh, wow. So imagine having thousands of different inner sizes to strengthen your persistence, tenacity, resolve, beliefs, habits, awareness. Um, we're developing an entire, I'm continuing, not developing, uh, but continuing to go from having maybe 100 inner sizes for my current clients to having thousands for health and wealth and relationships and career and business and growth and, and athletes and, and, and you know every, every walk of life to train their brain, to have the beliefs, the habits, the awareness, the perceptions um, to achieve high performance. Awesome. Well, listen, you're, you're a showcase of all of that, not just the business success that we didn't really cover, but you know, you look like a picture of health anyway, <laughs> as we're having this conversation. So listen, as I said, John, it's been awesome having you on scale up and I've uh, been looking forward to this conversation for some time. It is absolutely delivered. So I just want to thank you for your time and I'm very appreciative of uh, you coming on the show. Thank you so much, Nick. I look forward to seeing you in San Diego the next time you're here. Absolutely, sir. <laughs> All right, man. 
Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Scale Up with Nick Bradley. If you've enjoyed the show just as much as I've enjoyed creating it for you, then I'd really appreciate you leaving a five-star review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, why not subscribe to the channel so you never miss a future episode? It really helps me, it helps the show, plus it makes it easier for others to access the content that I'm producing week in and week out. And finally, if you want more information about anything that you heard in today's show, to find out how you can join our community on Facebook or to find out how you can get more help in scaling up your business and your life, click the link in the show notes now.